G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You might like to participate in our conversation. You might have a question to ask our guest. There is a new book on the market. It's described as a story that needed to be written because so many of us have not had the chance to hear it in our normal educational experience. It's a largely hidden story. It's been pushed to the margins, and so perspectives on who we are and how our nation developed are somewhat hazy. Meredith Lake is the author of this new book. It's called The Bible Down Under. From convicts to Anzacs, Aboriginal activists to writers and artists, all kinds of Australians have made use of the Bible. They've debated it, we've rejected it, we've reinterpreted it, and we've even believed it. And so the Bible has become part of the fabric of Australian culture and society. Well, Meredith Lake is an historian. Her work on the social and cultural history of religion is widely published. And Meredith Lake is joining us today. Hello, Meredith. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Great to be with you. Well, Meredith, uh, always love some conversations uh, with you because uh, we've had a a number in the past, uh, enjoyable conversations about historic people in Australian history. You have a passion for Australian history, but when we mention that word history, some people uh, can sometimes feel like it's a a switch-off moment because they think, oh, that's something that was boring we learned at school, but... History is alive. It's, it's something wonderful to consider. How do you think of people having a passion for Australian history? Well, I think what really grabs me about history is, is that it's, it's, it's all about people. I mean, we all have friends and family who are, that we love or that are fascinating to us or that we want to spend time with. And for me, learning about history just extends, you know, the range of people that I might get to know or who perspective on the world I might try and understand, um, meeting different people to me in the past, thinking about the world they lived in. For me, that's the real interest of it. And, and when you get to do it as a professional historian, sometimes that comes right down to actually reading their, their diary or actually reading their mail or something like that. Um, and it's that human element um, and trying to understand the world from somebody else's shoes um, that really grabs me, I think. And where it really gets interesting is in the hidden history. Now, that almost sounds like a, there's a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but nations everywhere, and I imagine historians throughout history, have been uh, rewriting a whole lot of history, and sometimes from political, sometimes from ideological perspectives. Uh, what do you understand about the hidden history of Australia? Well, I think... Uh I'm not really, I don't want to be an advocate for this idea of a conspiracy theory. If you think about, say, there's a car accident, um, everybody who was a witness, whether they were the driver or the passenger or somebody walking past on the street or the driver of the other car, everybody has a different perspective on what actually happened and, you know, what, what was the nature of the accident? How did it happen? Um, why did it happen? What are the implications? Um, and, and I think one of the the things we need to learn from history and to do good history is to learn to listen 
other voices and to take seriously different perspectives uh, because none of us have the whole, you know, the whole truth about the past of our own. Um, we all know in our own lives that it's difficult to understand our own motivations sometimes, let alone somebody else's. And that becomes even more difficult when you're dealing with people who lived a long time ago. So I think um, we always need to think about, you know, why are people spinning the story that way rather than this way? There's always a question to answer there. Um, but I think um, as Christians especially, it's important to be generous listeners and to try and understand why people see the world from where they do um, and to enter into a dialogue about that rather than, um, you know, get defensive or say, but you're not hearing me. And to actually, um, to do that really well, there's kind of an ethics, if you like, of listening that I think needs to shape the way we think about the past. I mean, that said, it's also important for us to tell stories that maybe people might know. Just personally, I've been really enriched by, you know, studying the past and learning about people with a similar faith to mine who've lived in a different time. Um, they've often taught me a lot or challenged me a lot. Um, yeah, so I think there's something really rich about about digging back through the archive, if you like, and, and, and having a look for some of the stories that we might not normally here. Uh, well, Meredith, sometimes uh, you might recall uh, recently of recent years and there was a review of the Australian education curriculum because it was mm. felt as though a lot of our Christian history was written out of the education curriculum. So uh, when we talk about the spin we have on history, uh, there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, whoever's in power, whoever gets to dictate what's in the, the education curriculum, gets to say, uh, you know, what we ought to understand about our history from the past. And where the Bible comes into all of that, that's, uh, that's really something for Christians. We ought to be taking a special note of, uh, being very aware of. Uh, but this whole spin idea is really it's very much alive, isn't it? Well, I, I'm familiar with that. that. That review into the curriculum was... I mean, curriculum's always political, isn't it? What do we think people need to know? What, what do we need for good citizenship? What knowledge, what information, all those things. Education's always been a contentious thing. It has been the whole, you know, since the 19th century. But I, think, I do think um, this idea that we've got to choose somehow between the Christian version of an Australian past and a different version... Sometimes that can lead to a dead end. Um, part of what I want to do with my book and what's really challenged me um, is thinking about, well, how does the Bible speak or how, how does the Christian history of Australia speak to those really big issues like sustainability or the history of Indigenous Australia or Australia's relationship with Asia? But we don't, I don't think we have to pick between, you know, the history of Christianity and those other big themes, I think, if we want to understand the complicated history of Indigenous Australia, for example, we need to understand the way non-Indigenous people have related to the Bible and what they've taken out of that and how they've applied that to the question of race relations. We need to listen to the voices of Indigenous Christians who have a, their own perspectives that are very powerful on these kinds of issues. And that, so I think we, we might do better to avoid feeling trapped into an either-or scenario when we come to the past. And again, to try and be generous listeners, but also to um, to see that the story of the Bible certainly is integrated into all these other themes, not as its own special topic that needs its own kind of airtime. So, I mean, part of what I want to do with my work is to say, when we're talking about the history of um, race relations in Indigenous Australia, let's listen um, to what Indigenous Christians have to say. Or when we're talking about the way we relate to the land and the environment, let's 
think about how people have made sense of the Bible and that verse in Genesis, for example, you know, to subdue the earth and how have they interpreted that? What has that meant for the way we've related to the, uh, to the land? Um, and to actually integrate kind of a, the story of the Bible and what people have done with it, with all those big things, actually gives everybody a richer kind of story and a richer perspective. Well, Meredith, it was Australia Day last Thursday. This coming Friday, the 3rd of February, is the actual uh, anniversary date of the very first church service on Australian yep. soil. And, uh, right. and, I, and I know you love the story of Richard Johnson, the first chaplain who came on the first fleet. Uh, and interesting yep. when you... I mean, there's so many different dimensions here when you start to talk about Indigenous relations in Australia and the impact that the Bible had uh, in a community that began uh, in Australia with the First Fleet, uh, that had a, a, a godly man on board, but everybody else, uh, well, not everybody, but, uh, but there was the majority of people were, were convicts who weren't interested in the Bible. Uh, but th- let, let me get your, uh, your impressions as to the very first arrival of the Bible on Australian soil and the fact that it had effectiveness in helping to shape uh, some of that early community as the First Fleet arrived, and including the Indigenous population uh, around Sydney at that time. What are your thoughts on, on the Bible right from day one? Well, I think, I think you're right. Johnson is one of the fascinating people in Australian history. He, um, he was quite newly married, um, younger than I am now, when he departed from Britain. He actually didn't want to come. He was kind of a homebody, really. Um, when he was asked, do you have the spirit of a missionary, he was like, oh, no, no, I'm quite happy to continue my parish ministry here. Um, so it was a really big deal for him to kind of, you know, he prayed about it, talked, cried about it, fasted about it, and eventually got on the boat um, and really had quite a tough time of it. But he, he really had this strong conviction that if this was God's work, God would be with him and God would would do whatever God was planning, and that, that he needed to just go with the flow on that. And he, he came with the Bible. He brought crate loads of Bibles, actually. Um, and he, I'll give you a quote. He said, It's a sacred book given by the inspiration of God, the only sure and infallible guide. So he, he basically had the highest possible view you could of the Bible. He was had no doubt that this was the word that the convicts and everybody else needed to hear. And he really devoted his whole ministry to that, not just preaching in his church, but um, visiting convicts in their huts and talking to them. Um, And I think that kind of more pastoral kind of ministry was where he was really um, in his element. But yeah, he had a really hard time, and so did his wife, Mary. Um, They lost their first child, which, you know, you think that must have been devastating, so isolating um, in the early colony. Um, but they they also got caught up in kind of the politics of, of the early settlement. Um, so obviously the British arrived, they're trying to establish their own settlement, which is on land that other people already live in and already claim as theirs. Um, and he, as part of that, he took in um, an Aboriginal girl called Buron. And now her story is a bit hard to piece together because she obviously didn't leave a diary for us to read um, but she's mentioned in lots of the journals that the First Fleet officers wrote, so we can kind of get a bit of a sense of who she was. She grew up around Parramatta, which is now in Western Sydney, and she was the daughter of a clan elder there, Nalgaran. Um, and many of her people were victims of the smallpox epidemic that basically, I mean, it, it killed 
you know, half the Indigenous population of Sydney in the second year after the British arrived. This devastating uh, epidemic. Uh, she caught smallpox and the, the British officers found her and brought her to Sydney and she recovered um, and then went to live with Richard and Mary Johnson in their hut. Um, and she lived with them for about 18 months. Um, it's hard, she was probably between 12 and 15 years old at that time. And basically it's the first close encounter that an Aboriginal Australian has with, you know, uh, a Christian who's really serious about the Bible, not just as a civilising thing, if you, if you like, but as a thing that might transform somebody's whole life and eternal future. Um, and Johnson uh, tried to teach her to read in English and to, to speak some English, um, did the ABCs, presumably using the Bible as the text for their lessons. He taught her the Lord's Prayer and tried to talk to her about a supreme being, um, as he put it. Um, and they have this really interesting relationship. Um, Buran's not not convinced of the, of Johnson's message or of the way of life that he and Mary are modelling, and she eventually returns to the bush and to her own people um, after about 18 months decides not to wear a petticoat anymore and, and not to act as a translator for the colonists, um, but to return to the, to, the, to the way of life that she's grown up in that she still values very highly. Um, so she, she makes that, she has a really close look at you, if you like, at kind of white society in those very early years and decides to reject it. But the interesting thing that happens, among many other interesting things, she becomes the wife of Benelong, who many of your listeners, I think, will know about Benelong. He's the man, you know, the, where the Opera House is in Sydney. That's Benelong yep. Point. That yep. area is named now by the British after him because he was such a, a famous negotiator, really, in those early years of contact between black and white around Sydney. And he, he went to England with Arthur Phillips and visited um, England for a couple of years and came back. So he, he's this really important figure in that early dialogue. Um, and he, he marries Buron, and they have a son whose name is um, Dickie. And after Buron and Benelong are both dead, um, Dickie becomes, uh, he goes into the, the native institution, it's called, that Governor Macquarie set up for Aboriginal people around Sydney at Parramatta, and is then adopted from there by the first missionary who came specifically for Aboriginal Australians. That was William Walker, a Wesleyan. And he, Dickie learns to read and write in English. Uh, he learns to read his Bible. And after a few months with the missionary Walker, converts to Christianity. He's probably the first uh, Indigenous Australian convert to Christianity. Um, there's one, there's not, again, we don't have much of his voice and his own record of things, but Walker talks about him in his letters as praying for the missionary when the missionary is sick. You know, you couldn't come to visit me, but I prayed for you, Mr. Walker. You know, I hope God will make you well. Like he, he seems to have had this really warm um, relationship with with the missionary. What an amazing he, he, story that he's is! Incredible. Uh, it he, is he just. Starts, he's amazing. He starts to preach to his own people, um, and he seeks baptism. So he's baptized at the Wesleyan Chapel in Parramatta, um, but unfortunately, he he actually dies. He gets sick and dies about six months later. And that's actually a terribly common story of early Christian mission in Australia. Yep. A lot of the, uh, the early converts don't live long enough um, to really um, have a, a substantial ministry um, themselves. 
Um, so it's one of the many reasons why early missions um, really didn't get very far. But this, this, it's all, all like that's the, the, the son of Buron who lived with the chaplain. So once you start to look into the stories, um, you can see this really interesting but complicated um, encounter between uh, Christians and Indigenous Australians right from the start. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today. Our special guest on 2020, Meredith Lake. She's the author of a new book called The Bible Down Under. Uh, Meredith, a fascinating history that you began to describe in our first segment there, uh, and especially when you talk about the very first Indigenous convert to Christianity in Australia. And as you say, oftentimes a lot of this history is hidden and you've got to pay a little extra special attention. But when you talk about Richard Johnson and his household and you talk about the young girl Burong who was uh, brought into his household or their household, the household of the Johnsons, because she married Benelong, and their son Dickie became the first convert to uh, to Christianity. And you mentioned mm. that it was under the leadership of a Wesleyan missionary. Now, Wesleyan obviously refers back to John Wesley, and many of our listeners will be familiar with the Great Awakenings uh, that happened in the UK and uh, in, uh, the, uh, in the US. Uh, when we talk about those sorts of connections, how significant is it? What shaped our earliest Christian leaders and what flows on into Christianity today? I think that, that, that it's no accident uh, that the, the revivals of the 18th century kind of overflowed into Australia. Australia is interesting because when the British arrive, it's at precisely the time when that whole revivalist movement is getting organised into missionary organisations and associations. But within about 10 or 15 years of the British arriving in Australia, you get the Church Missionary Society, the London Missionary Society, the Wesleyan Missionary Society, um, the Baptist Missionary Organisations. The, the, the settlement of Australia by um, Europeans coincides with the great, not just the revival itself, but its translation into kind of institutional forms that have kind of sustained power, if you like, to last right through the 19th century. Um, and that's where some of the energy and the resources for the spread of Christianity to Australia really comes from. Um, so John Johnson's a great example, actually. So when he comes, he the, the the Methodists, so John Wesley's group, if you like, haven't actually left the Anglican Church yet. So a lot of kind of people with a Wesleyan kind of heart are still within the Anglican Church, and Johnson's one of those. He's actually the protege of John Newton, the, the famous hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote to Johnson the whole time he was in Sydney, encouraged him, said, look, you mightn't be seeing much fruit, but, but you know, you're planting an acorn, God will grow the oak tree. Um, just, you just got to keep going. Um, so there's all this kind of William Wilberforce wrote to Johnson and to Samuel Marsden, kind of that British revival really flows through into Australia. Um, and even once um, the Wesleyan split off from the Anglicans, what happens in Australia is you get both. You get the, the Church Missionary Society, which is the, the Anglican one, and the Wesleyan Missionary Societies of their own, which is where William Walker, that first missionary to Aboriginal people, was 
he was connected to them. Uh, All those those things flow straight over to Australia and really give it its energy. It is an amazing history. Our Christian history goes back further than the First Fleet and uh, all of that shaping that happened in our first chaplain has overflowed into Australia. Now, it's interesting, and, uh, you know, you can you can draw connections, and there are dimensions to explore when we think of Australia Day last Thursday. Mm. And, of course, uh, there is a growing movement in Australia that calls Australia Day Invasion Day. And, mm. uh, and it's an interesting, and I'll get your perspective, uh, uh, Meredith, mm. because uh, when we think of our history... Uh, and what happened from the First Fleet's arrival and over these uh, 200-plus years since uh, that time, the influence of the Bible, uh, how do you reflect on on how influential the Bible has been? Because uh, I suspect if it hadn't been Richard Johnson on the First Fleet, if there had been no Bibles, uh, there would have been a a dreadful major catastrophe for the Aboriginal people. Uh, but, uh, But there was a sense in which with... Richard Johnson came this biblical understanding of how we need to treat one another. Uh, your thoughts on on on, on that whole uh, uh, Australia Day invasion day type of idea? I think that's a really it's a this is a really important question. I think that Christians and other people and virtually everyone in Australia it's really worth grappling with. And this year, again, it's been in the media a lot and all the debate about the Lamb ad and you know the the, the billboards with those two young. Um, Muslim girls on them. It's been really controversial, hasn't it? It has. I think the thing that's really um, challenged me in this debate, that whole idea of naming the 26th of January as an invasion day is actually the invention of Indigenous Australian Christians, and particularly a man called William Cooper. Um, And it's another example of where if we feel forced to choose between, oh, it's the arrival of the Bible or the naming of Australia's colonial past we can get into difficulty. I actually think that if what we need to see is that the Bible has had, it's been interpreted in all kinds of ways. There's been the Christian version, there's been the government version, there's been the sceptical version, and it's out of the argument around that that we get these big questions in our culture. Um, But I'll just give you a bit of William Cooper. Um, So he lived in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, and he he was a, um, a Victorian... Uh, indigenous man who converted to Christianity and became a real leader of his community. Um, and he, he was led the first Indigenous deputation to an Australian Prime Minister in 1838 and with a, a bunch of other uh, Aboriginal Christians helped draw the attention of white Australians to some of the injustices that, that have occurred in our past. And I'll, I'll read you some of his letters to the Prime Minister because I think this is really fascinating. He said, the British saw this as a new country, but this country wasn't new. It was already in possession of and inhabited by millions of blacks who owned their country as a God-given heritage. And he's drawing on the idea in Acts there that, you know, God chooses um, who should live where in this, in this argument. He says, from the standpoint of an educated black who can read the Bible on which the British constitution and custom is founded, it's amazing that God gave the earth to man that so-called Christians interfered with God's arrangement and didn't even stop at murder to take that which does not belong to them. Again, we state we are the original owners of the country. Morally, the land is ours. But we've been ejected and despoiled of our God-given right and our inheritance has been forcibly taken from us. How much compensation have we had? How much of our land has been paid for? 
not one iota. And he's quoting from Jesus there um, in the Sermon on the Mount, not one iota. The history of the manner in which we've been treated these last 150 years, our confidence in a professed Christian nation standing for good government, justice and freedom is sadly shaken. And so his great hope actually was to see Christian organisations and other sympathetic friends, as he called them, come forward to help his people as, quote, we try to persuade the governments to do the right thing. We appeal to all Christian people to view the matter with compassion and do their utmost to help Aboriginal people to get their rights. Um, In the sight of God, he goes on, we are as valuable as any other men. And this is how he concluded. um, The creator said in his word that all are of one blood. Are you prepared to admit that we are humans with feelings like yourselves in the eyes of Almighty God, that we have our joys and our sorrows, our likes and our dislikes, that we can feel pain, degradation and humiliation just as, as anyone else? And if you admit that, Will you do your bit to see great injustice at least mollified by helping us to get a fair deal before it's too late? And that was Cooper in 1938, and he was the instigator of the Day of Mourning that year, um, which became actually NAIDOC Week. Um, This is actually the invention of Indigenous Australian Christians who've taken to heart those biblical ideas of the equality of all people, the value of all people, regardless of race or gender or um, age or anything else like that. And, and he's turning that into an argument to challenge uh, wider Australia, including many people who might claim to be Christians but may not have actually been in a heart kind of way at that time, um, to take seriously this question of, well, how, how do we relate? How do we deal with the fact that some people lived here and then other people took their land? And I think these, these kinds of questions are still really challenging to me. So when, when I'm kind of reading my Facebook feed and there's a, you know, I, some people are saying, isn't this the day the Bible came? And other people are saying, isn't this an invasion? I want to say, yes, it's the day the Bible came. And yes, it's, a, it's an invasion. And that's part of the challenge. What does the Bible mean for Australia when we're dealing with the fact of a dispossession of Aboriginal people? And it, I think people like William Cooper, Indigenous Christians who are dealing really seriously with the Bible, um, can help us as white Australians to, to move forward a bit on this kind of issue. Um, and that we need to listen well uh, to those kinds of voices um, because they have a really powerful perspective, I think, on what the Bible might mean for for a country like Australia. And, of course, as we reflect on the Bible and its influence on our Australian history and our culture, there is something predictable about Christians who rely on the Bible. There's something predictable about that because, you know, as you uh, reflect uh, so so well, uh, Meredith. You know that uh, that all men created equal, uh, one mm. blood. You mentioned those things. Those things yes. they make us as Christians predictable. We are predictable when it comes to those things, and and those things need to uh, somehow or other overflow into the mainstream yeah. of society a whole lot more. And I think Australian society, settler society, has definitely been at its best when it has taken those ideas most seriously. Um, that I think that. That's hard to dispute uh, in Australian history from my point of view. Those ideas, though, have always been under pressure. Um, In the 19th century, it was the idea of kind of survival of the fittest and this idea of a a hierarchy of races Um, and the, the, the kind of the gospel message that everybody's valuable, everybody matters, there's nobody who can't be saved. Last Thursday was Australia Day. 
uh, this coming Friday as the anniversary of the very first church service on Australian shores. So as we talk about the Bible, the way the Bible has shaped our nation, uh, that's all very interesting in so far as the modern controversies go of calling Australia Day Invasion Day. Well, we're getting some great perspectives and you can be part of our conversation. 1-800-316-316. Meredith, before we change any directions in talking about some of the things we are talking about Australia Day, let's take a call from Lee, who is in Queensland. Hello, Lee. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil and Meredith. Lee, what are your thoughts? Fascinating uh, information you've given us there, Meredith, about early settlement and Richard Johnson and his wife, etc. Uh, one of the things that seems to be missing from many of these conversations is that Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I would say that even today's Australia, Australians wouldn't be able to claim that Australia belongs to them because, as I read it and understand it, uh, the earth still belongs to the Lord and he's the boss. Mm. Uh, Meredith, your thoughts? I think that's a really significant point that you've made there. And whenever we uh, feel that ultimately something belongs to us, we've gone wrong, haven't we? I think that, that, I think that so. everything, that good stewardship under the Lord uh, is, is a, a crucial question, whether it's land rights or care for the environment or how we organise our economic life. All those questions need to have that as its, as its overarching principle. Um, and certainly I think when, when, when we're entrusted with some kind of stewardship over the earth, it's only on the condition, of course, that it's God's earth. Um, and we're to relate to the earth and to all its people in ways that reflect his goodness and his justice and his mercy and his kindness. Um, and I think this, this question of um, how do we treat our uh, Aboriginal brothers and sisters is a, a really, it's a big test of that. Lee from Queensland, thanks so much for your input today. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Interestingly, Meredith, and uh, along the lines of what Lee was sharing, uh, this idea of uh, Australia Day, Invasion Day, uh, the arrival of another nation and the dispute that could come as to who owns the land, Uh, When the Christian gospel arrives in the form that it did with Richard Johnson, the first chaplain, there is a sense, isn't there, that the kingdom of God arrived with the chaplain. The kingdom of God advances through people who are believers. And that's not a nationalistic thing. That's something that is is bigger than uh, national uh, national ownership. This is this is a sense in which the kingdom of God uh, isn't restricted uh, by national boundaries. I mean, that's one of the beauties of the gospel is that it's a, it's a word for all people. And that's partly where the missionary impulse comes from, is that it doesn't, it's not the property of any one race or nation, but it's a word for the whole world. And that, that idea is really strong in what Richard Johnson and people like him brought with him. But there were other versions of Christianity, if you like, that came with the First Fleet as well, the government version that was all about setting up a colony on somebody else's land. So the, it, it's a complicated history, I think, because of that. Um, but and also Christians haven't always been able to see their own cultural assumptions very clearly. It's easier with hindsight, of course. It's one of the benefits of history. You can see other people's faults much more clearly than your own, um, and I think there's something humbling about the study of history because of that. But, but it's true that I think that sometimes Christians have confused the kingdom of God with their own kingdoms, 
And that's something we need to be conscious of and wary of in our own time. But I think you're right that the core of it is a, is a life-giving message, of course. And that's something that Indigenous Christians who've embraced the gospel have absolutely recognised. Um, and for Indigenous theologians now, it, it's, a, it's a matter of God was here before the Bible, um, but he hadn't, like he was present with Old Testament Israel before Jesus, but a, a fuller revelation of who that God was um, in, in Christ is something that um, was, still, was still to be given and to be transferred. And actually what happens, it's really when Indigenous people start to convert and become missionaries to their own people that the Indigenous church really takes off. And that, I get that's the ultimate proof, really, that it's a word for everybody, not just for white people or for colonisers. Um, the story of the Indigenous church in Australia is, is the story of, of Aboriginal people really living that out. So many dimensions to what we can talk about, and I don't want to miss a whole lot of, and we probably will need to go through these <laughs> things okay. fairly quickly, but let's talk some, some more about the Bible down under and the way that the Bible has shaped Australian society. And I guess uh, if we start talking about charities, if we start talking about the newspapers, if we start talking trade unions, uh, all of these sorts of things, uh, they're, they're big conversations all on their own, but, but so many dimensions there, Meredith, in the way that the Bible has shaped our culture. I think you're absolutely right. And one, one of the things that sometimes Christians can feel uh, in our current kind of media environment is that, that, that somehow Christian politics is just about pushing some kind of agenda. Whereas actually, I think for a lot of Christians engaged in public, in public life, it, it's not so much about hitching your horse to a, you know, the God cart or something like that, but, but a welling up of, of, a very personal faith. It's, a, it's, a, it's about discipleship, actually, and living out faith in all areas of life. I've got a great quote here from a 19th century preacher called James Jeffress, who was one of the fathers of Federation, really. Not very well known, but one of the long-standing advocates of Federation. I think he really understood that there's this kind of dynamic when you take the Bible into your heart, um, that it, there's a life there that somehow changes the way you relate to the world around you. This is what he said. There's a power in the Bible itself, in the spirit of its teaching, in the revelation it makes of God and his love to answer to all the wants of our higher and spiritual life. And the Bible, working out its divine mission in a living Christianity, gives a person the power to face danger and conquer difficulty and to, by the might of self-sacrifice, to regenerate the world. And that, that, that dynamic kind of life-giving energy of the Bible as the Word of God lived out has really, I mean, it's not, it's not the way most Australians have lived, I wouldn't say, but at critical points, key figures have definitely kind of acted out of that kind of living, living Christianity, if you like. Um, and they're not all on one side of politics or in one sphere of activity. The founder of um, basically the Australian Union movement, William Guthrie Spence, was definitely one of these people. He was the founder of the Australian Workers' Union and its president for nearly 20 years. He was a Labor member of the, of the New South Wales government and eventually um, served in the, the federal cabinets of Andrew Fisher and Billy Hughes. He was a guy, very poor background, learnt to read using the Bible. His mother taught him using the Bible. A Presbyterian, then a primitive Methodist eventually, became a lay preacher and a Sunday school teacher and all those things. And he, he really believed that that the founder of Christianity, that Jesus had a message that, that was about a fair go for the working person and that that's what unionism was all about. That was what it meant to him. 
He thought that Christianity made it easy and natural for people to act justly and truthfully and honestly. Um, and here's, here's a great quote, my favourite quote. If I understand anything of the teachers of the founder of Christianity, it's that he came to bring heaven on earth, to set up the kingdom of heaven on earth, a state where we can escape all the ills and sorrows that we experience here. And then he said, he said this to a bunch of socialists, actually, in the 1890s. I don't want to preach to you, but I will ask you in reading his life, that is, reading the Gospels, and I suppose all of you have read it, he said, did it ever strike you that it might be possible to live as he did? He went around doing good. And that's obviously a quote uh, from Scripture as well there. Um, and that, that idea really motivated his whole campaign for better working conditions, fairer wages, and a political voice for the ordinary person. Um, and I think there's lots of examples like that, but, but William Spence is definitely one example of an Australian Christian who took that message of the gospel to heart and let that flow into his whole of life. And we're st we've still got the unions that he organised. Uh, they're still part of our political landscape today. Well, you might have uh, some contribution to make when it comes to the trade union movement in Australia. Well, 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join our conversation today. Uh, Meredith Lake is our guest. We're talking about the Bible Down Under. Some calls uh, to take. Let's hear, I think it's, is it Melsey in Queensland? Hello, Melsey. Melsey, M-E-L-C-Y, Melsey. Melsey, what's your story? You've got some relation to uh, one of our early missionaries. Yes, well, uh, I've been treated in adoption by uh, Eric Walker. That's from Sherberg. And the Walker, I, I, I believe, I know where the Walker from because I really love to get this book. Mm. Because my maiden name is Walker. And Eric Walker is my grandfather, related to my dad, my dad from or from Sherberg. And I always listen to radio when I get down to camp. I'm really up from Birmingham, at the tip of Cape York. Uh, Melcy, how, how, how are you? Uh, how are you enjoying or being challenged by our conversation today? What are your oh, thoughts? Oh, my God! I really enjoy it. My radio, my my when when I went down from Bamiga, my phone got all backed up. I was so upset about it. My app was break up. My app was broken. I said, "No, I have to look for a phone. I have to get a look for a phone because I love to hear that radio every day and night. I sleep with it. I oh." It's really, really amazing. It, it, it's my life. It takes it take part of my life, you know. Melcy, with your, with your Indigenous heritage, how do you feel about the controversy surrounding Australia Day? Oh, I was, I, was, I was fasting that day. I was fasting because my family is my first... Most of my family are unbelievers, and I'm going through... Everything that I'm going through, like as the older preacher there, Mary's talking about that uh, I'm in Australia. Well, I'm an Aboriginal myself, and I've been going through a lot. But when I became a Christian, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I got free from everything. Now when I go, by the first time I moved out from Cairns, I, was, I had a long story by cut it short. I moved down from Cairns to, back, back to my home in Ingenu. That's another community back in Bamiga. And I, have to, I, I love to get a radio down to Ingenu because I, I stay down at Ingenu and I'm having problems. I couldn't get to get that uh, station in Bamiga. Yep. Melcy, let me bring our special guest, uh, Meredith, into our conversation because, Melcy, you've called in and uh, you're a, 
a Christian believer, and there is a sense in which the early part of our conversation today uh, really comes back to the gospel coming on the First Fleet with Richard Johnson, and we talked about Boorong, and uh, she married Ben along, and their son Dickie became the first convert to Christianity. There is a sense in which, as an indigenous Australian and a convert to Christianity, there's a connection for you right back to the chaplain that came on the First Fleet. Uh, your reflection, uh, Meredith Lake, uh, and uh, wonderful to hear from Melcy today. I mean, I think that's part of what's so interesting about the story of the Bible in Australia is that it, it belongs to to so many different people who've got all they've got. They're all everybody's got their own story, really, uh, of what what the Bible has meant to them in their life and their family. And um, we're all navigating those things together, aren't we? And part of part of what I think we need now as a nation is to keep having that conversation about what what does this scripture mean for who we are as a nation and how we relate to one another um and there's more than one way that the bible can can help us i think with that and that basic idea that we are one people that there there is no such thing at the end of the day as different races that we are common people made in the image of god one blood that that that's got to be our starting point and that we're all loved that we can all find new life uh, that we can all have um, the blessings of the gospel, um, that, that God doesn't withhold them from any particular group of, you know, race or ethnicity or language group, uh, that, that there's, there's some real resources there, I think, uh, for, for a nation which at the moment seems to me to be quite divided. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest is Meredith Lake. She's the author of The Bible Down Under. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Sandra in Adelaide. Hello, Sandra. Welcome along. Thank you very much. It's been a very interesting discussion this morning. Um, I'm a practicing Christian. I do mission work in Africa. Um, I do counseling here in Adelaide and help uh, those in need. And... um, I will probably cause a hornet's nest today, but how long um, do we need to keep saying sorry for what happened in the past? How long do we need to keep protesting about something, whether it was right or wrong, an invasion, um, settlers coming here, um, Christians trying to do the right thing um, through the 50s with uh, Aboriginal children being taken away from their parents, people's hearts, were in the right place. They did what they knew at the time. Um, We've been saying sorry for many, many years now and I'm not um, saying what happened was right, but we need, as Meredith said, forward to move forward in love and compassion um, and not keep saying sorry all the time for something that happened way back when with uh, our forefathers and and people who were trying to do the right thing. Sandra, um, interesting thoughts. Let's get a, a dimension there from Meredith. Meredith, what are your thoughts on, on what Sandra's sharing? I think that you've raised some ideas there that I think a lot of people have been feeling uh, in the last couple of weeks. And you're right that it's been very, it seems to me to have been very um, polarised, this particular Australia Day that's just gone. I think just personally, my own reflection is that... Um, as Christians, I think we, we need to be careful not to feel wearied by repentance. Um, that's one of the, the marks of the Christian life is, is being able to, um, to say sorry 
which we all need to do all the time in all kinds of spheres of our life. And I think as a church, we have an opportunity to model, actually, um, that kind of really deep repentance, because we know what it's like uh, to have wronged God and to have received his, his forgiveness and have been healed uh, by that. Um, and we've got, I, I feel like we actually have nothing to lose by being um, con- fairly repentant all the time for all kinds of injustices. And I think this one's a tricky one. Um, how past is the past? Is a question I'm always asking myself as a historian. Um, part of the reason I love history is because it speaks to the world I live in now. Um, and I think from the Indigenous uh, perspective that I've read around this time, part of the issue is that, that injustice isn't just confined to the past. And by almost any measure, there's still persistent injustices facing Indigenous Australians today. Um, it's not about blame. It's not about saying this is so-and-so's fault or so-and-so's fault. But I think it's, it's, it's true that this is not a reconciled nation. There's too many deaths in custody. There's too many gaps in health outcomes and life expectancy and educational outcomes for us to say that we're a reconciled society. And we've got resources, I think, in the gospel to really to do some of that hard work, which includes, I think, saying sorry, listening well, and continuing to do the best we can, knowing that it's we'll probably be making all kinds of mistakes like the people in previous generations did. And you're right, it's not an, it's not an option to do nothing, um, but to know that, that, that healing ultimately is God's work and that we need to stay open uh, to, to that posture of repentance and to, to seeking justice in the present as much as we can. And I think the church, more than any other institution, kind of has those deep resources for that. Um, and, and, and it can be tiring and it's exhausting uh, sometimes, uh, but I think that's core business uh, for people who've received forgiveness um, from from our Lord. Thank you so much to Sandra from Adelaide. And what a great conversation it's been over this past hour. And uh, we are now short of time. Uh, there's so much in your book and you cover a lot of ground, Meredith. Uh, not only the sorts of history that we're talking about with the First Fleet, not only the formation of trade unions and those community organisations, as we touched on briefly, but also uh, interesting aspects of the arts and uh, even to the point where the Bible in Aboriginal culture and uh, has influenced painting and music and, and then more generally across Australian culture, the likes of Henry Lawson and Tim Winton. And you even like to reflect on uh, musicians that have been influential in the sorts of music that they've written. And we won't have time to do uh, to go into any detail about that today, but I do want to encourage people to get a hold of your new book. Uh, where's the easiest, best place to access this new Bible Down Under book, Meredith? Well, it's been published by the Bible Society of Australia, so you can find it through their website. Also, Kurong Christian Books have them in stock. Uh, that's probably the easiest way, Bible Society or Kurong. Okay, and I uh, just encourage people to either go to uh, websites uh, for those uh, those uh, those booksellers, or simply Google the Bible Down Under and Meredith Lake, and you might even discover some other titles that Meredith has also written. Meredith, it's just great getting your insights, and let's do this again sometime soon. There's so many dimensions to cover, and I love these conversations with you. But uh, thank you so much for taking time to share your heart with us today here on 2020. Thanks very much for having me and thanks to all your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au And remember, Vision is listener supported. 
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.